When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Solid Verbal. The Solid Verbal. Come after me! I'm a man! I'm 40! I've heard so many players say, well, I want to be happy. You want to be happy for a day? Eat a steak. It's that woo-woo! And now, Dan and Ty. Welcome back to the Solid Verbal Boys and Girls. My name is Ty Hildenbrandt, that guy over there, Dan Rubenstein. We are the Solid Verbal. Don't forget to go on out to solidverbal.com where not only can you find all of our preview episodes now as we're a couple into this, but you can also find some of the cool written stuff that Travis and Bradley and before long Connor will be contributing to our website. And shout out Dylan helping out with social media as well. Shout out to our boy Dylan for sure. Solidverbal.com. All of our social platforms. Don't forget to follow if you haven't already. And furthermore, go on out to verballers.com if you are ever so inclined to witness the video of this monstrosity of a Big Ten East preview. Oh, wow. Again, it is verballers.com. You can find all the cool perks that we're offering at the certified and premium verballer tiers. And I am, I guess, not getting too far out over my skis when I say that we have a lot of cool stuff in the pipeline as well. There, There is much, 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 much more to come. Yes. We got a call about it later. We got a call about it tomorrow. We got calls about it all week, talking mm-hmm. through some of the other fun stuff that we got working on. So we're broadcasting from Jeff Bezos's dong ship, right? That's I, the I big reveal. That's where we're going. Yeah. It's just signing. It's just dotting I's and lowercase J's and, uh, you know, making sure all, all, we're all wrapped up. By the way, we got a lot of comments. And the one thing you did left out, we did a stream with Andy Staples last week about realignment in Texas and Oklahoma. And that's in the news right now. Uh, no matter when you're listening to this, I'm sure this continues that if you want to see our it's about 50 minutes, five oh minutes. Uh, if you want to watch it or listen to the replay of it, that's also available. Verballers.com if you want to support the show via Patreon. Um, and, and on that note, I I weighed trying to convince you that we should do the Big 12 this episode while it still exists, <laughs> which is what a suggestion we got from a few people like, hey, I don't know if you want to just like scoot that up if you were waiting. Yeah. But uh, no, I mean, I, I think Texas and Oklahoma are going to be around for another couple of years, three, four years in the Big 12, it seems. But uh, we're going Big Ten. 
And Big Ten East specifically with this episode. We are doing Big Ten. We're doing Big Ten East. We'll see when we get around to it if the Big 12 is still a thing. The important caveat in that broader discussion about Texas and Oklahoma and their intent to leave in 2025 is that if other schools start peeling off sooner, I think that could mean a more accelerated timeline. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. I mean, look, we're recording this in July 27th. So if you're listening to this mid-August and college football is now going to be played totally in Vancouver, like I pitched last year, we apologize. This is not a live show. All right. Well, welcome back. Welcome one. Welcome all. We did our ACC Atlantic, our ACC Coastal, our Notre Dame preview, as well as all of the American. Mm hmm. On the last True. two episodes. Now we are going full speed into the Big Ten, Dan. And today, specifically, if you're watching the video, you can see I got my Michigan shirt on, which I got when I was up in Ann Arbor for Penn State Michigan game way back when. Yeah. Uh, I got into this. I've got 12 pages of notes here on the really? Big Ten East. 12 pages of notes per Google I'm Docs. through it. We're also talking what? Mac east or west mac west today yeah so i've got the big 10 east you got the mac west and yes. we're going to continue split or no you've got the mac east excuse me i've got Ty, the mac west i, I prepped time. for the mac west just so you know i think we got our wires crossed you look like you, you did great notes but i researched the exact same division okay. so well, we'll figure we'll, it out next we'll figure time. it out we'll figure it yeah. out next time where do we want to start in the big 10 i mean you did the big 10 west right I did the Big Ten East. Again, just to remind people what the format of this is, we are going to evaluate all of our teams here from four different standpoints. The first thing being, how did they do in 2020? We got no food. We got no jobs. Our pets' heads are falling off. Did the pets' heads fall off in 2020? Maybe not. If you're Ohio State, they didn't. But if you're Michigan, if you're Penn State, there's some other teams in the East. Yeah. Kind of did. Yeah. Kind of we, did. We're speeding away from 2020, much in the way that Harry and Lloyd sped away from, I think it was Rhode Island, on their way to the the sunnier slopes of Aspen. So that's that's our sort of 2021 analogy. Um, yeah. So we'll look at 2020, period. <laughs> we'll look at, and then forward to 2021, curb appeal, traffic, and how full the tank is, how far they can get with what they have. I can get 70 miles to the gallon on this hog. <laughs> we'll play the other sounds as we go through, but we're examining yeah. again how they did in 2020, the curb appeal yeah. of the 2021 squad, the traffic. That's ahead. I love this sound. I have to play. You are in luck. There's a town about three <laughs> miles that way. I'm sure you'll find a couple guys there. And then, of yeah. course, how much is in the tank? So you tell me, man, where do you want to start here with the Big Ten? Do you want to do big picture stuff? Do you want to do a specific team? Where Where's your head at? Well, let's let's start thematically and then we'll go into Ohio State, which is, I suppose, the whatever it was, the Lambo that was driven during <laughs> Dumb and Dumber, if that's my comparison, <laughs> which was also the source of the phenomenal uh, Cam Newton uh, handing out cash 
uh, LSU free <laughs> gif. If you're, it's very good to talk about a, a an edited gif of Dumb and Dumber on an audio podcast. That's I mean, videos available. But uh, let's start big picture, just thematically. Obviously, the Big Ten East typically is looked at as the more competitive, higher level conference because of the best of Ohio State, the best of Michigan State, the best of Michigan, the best of Penn State. Obviously, are the big four in terms of program size and esteem within the conference you know all due respect to wisconsin nebraska whoever but uh typically it's seen as the much tougher division of the conference so to you thematically is there anything cohesive beyond because i think it's very easy to say ohio state and everybody else right is there like some sort of idea or perspective that you see ringing true across the division well i think I think it's a very uncertain quarterback division, if I'm being honest. Um, You know, outside of Michael Penix Jr., who folks are very excited about, rightfully so, provided he can stay healthy, every team has questions about the quarterback spot. Mm -hmm. Ohio State lost Justin Fields. Now, I think they like C.J. Stroud and some of their other options at quarterback, but they still have to replace Justin Fields. And that's not a sure thing. It's never a sure thing. Penn State. Penn State doesn't have to replace Sean Clifford. It looks like he's going to be the guy, but he didn't do anything last year to answer any of the questions that we had about his productivity. New offensive coordinator coming in this year, Mike Yurcich. Can he get more out of Clifford? That remains to be seen. On the Michigan side, is it going to be Cade McNamara? Is it going to be British comedy legend Alan Bowman who transferred up? From Texas Tech. And there's a JJ in there, a five-star freshman. Yes. Exactly. Like the future. Yeah. Exactly. And, and this is sort of the case all up and down, you know. Um, and so we'll see. We'll see where it goes. I mean, some team, like, unless you're talking Noah Vedral or Talia Tungavailoa, I'm talking Tungavailoa. at the very top of the Big Ten. I can't remember a time in recent memory where there were this many questions about the quarterback position. So I think that will yeah. that will make things interesting. The other takeaway for me, I've I've been going through as I'm looking as I did look through all the teams in the ACC and trying to get the strength of schedule ranking preseason. It changes, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's never at the end of the season the way it looks at the beginning of the season. I was really surprised at the strength of schedule for pretty much every team in the Big Ten East, at least on paper, at least in the preseason, if things hold, this is going to be a side of the conference that is battle-tested, mm-hmm. that will have a case to make come playoff time if you've got a situation with a team that's got one, maybe two losses, I don't know. Um, and so if nothing more, it should mean that we get to see high-level football across the board against premium opponents. Well, who are, by the way, within the East itself? Obviously, Ohio State has Oregon. Michigan has Washington. I believe Penn State has Auburn. Auburn. Uh, Nebraska has, uh, that's in the West, but Nebraska does have Oklahoma, just in terms of conference huge matchups. Michigan State looks like they have Miami, correct? Yep, yep. yep. Um, who am I missing here? Maryland, Rutgers, Indiana. Who Who are those, who are like the prime time? Looks like Cincinnati plays Indiana. That's a huge one, yeah. Which is actually a, a really big game. Cincinnati yep. could be a top 10 team by then. Who knows? Um, Rutgers, Syracuse. Get excited! Guitar solo! I just, yeah. I just think that the combination of a really solid side of the division mm-hmm. mixed with good non-conference scheduling, you have some teams that are near oh, yeah, the Maryland, top. Maryland, West Virginia. An ACC matchup, if I've ever yep. heard one. Yeah, exactly. 
And maybe um, we'll be again. Who knows? But so that that's the point. I, I think we'll see good yeah. football, at least good matchups. The good football part remains to be seen moving forward. And, and we'll learn about those quarterbacks in those the, the, the first two or three weeks. Exactly. Exactly. So there's a lot to like mm-hmm. if you're a college football fan, certainly like if you're a Big Ten fan. Uh, let's start with Ohio State. Obviously, that's the the headline program across the entire northern part of the United States, let alone, obviously, the the Big Ten East. So what is, when you look back on 2020, is there anything that you had forgotten? Is there anything that you want to emphasize about just how good Ohio State obviously was uh, until they met up against, uh, obviously, a superpower at the end of the, the season in Northwestern? So um, where... Where do you want to go with 2020 Ohio State? I don't want to play the Pets heads are falling off <laughs> okay. sound because that would be doing them a grave disservice. Uh, what I forgot, I went back and looked at the clip of Justin Fields getting speared in his ribs by Jim. Uh, Brutal. I called him Jim Skalski, James Skalski. Yeah, Jimbo. Mm-hmm. Of Clemson. And the fact that he was able to put himself back together and continue to play in that game was remarkable. He just willed his team to victory. And that was a, a huge victory for Ohio state yeah. in the playoffs to, to knock off Trevor Lawrence, to knock off a really good Clemson team. I forgot oh, like, about his bomb Clemson. Killed they him. dropped a lot of points. They, they marched down the field or just threw the ball over the field. Yeah. No, they killed him. They killed him. And so, you know, that, that game in and of itself was really significant. I think for Ryan day, for what he's trying to maintain at Ohio state in the wake of, Urban Meyer. I forgot about that hit. Um, I forgot about the questions I had on defense. Sure. To be honest with you, I it's easy to look at Ohio State and say, well, they had a bunch of guys on the defense get drafted. Um, but this they had killers in that secondary, and they didn't fully exist on that roster last year. They they but in the years leading up, they did. They didn't get the kind of pressure that they wanted up front. It was the fewest number of sacks that they've had on a per game basis since hmm. 2016. Okay. And that made the pass defense particularly vulnerable. If the guys in the back, and we'll talk about this with Michigan as well, on the Don Brown mm-hmm. 4-3 defense with the way it likes to pressure and leave guys on islands, but a little bit different in the case of Ohio State. But they just weren't able to do their fair share on the back end of that defense. And I think it it came back to bite them in some spots. Um, sure. Certainly against Alabama, maybe that skews the numbers a little bit, but Alabama got everybody. It just it was a theme throughout the year that Ohio State had to contend with. And it was something that I forgot about. Other than that, though, I mean, it's easy to forget how solid this team was. Honestly, Trey Sermon, Master Teague, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson. Like we're gonna see some of these guys this coming year, but it's it was a really solid team. The way Justin Fields patched himself together, put the team on his back. And got to the national championship was was really inspiring to watch. Yeah, I think I had a little bit forgotten that Trey Sermon ran for 330 yards against Northwestern and physically had to take them to the playoff because that was a, an incredibly rough first half for Ohio State. But I think solid is a mischaracterization. This was largely a very very no, good was, team that was ran into team. a juggernaut. Yeah, it was it was an elite team. So yeah. as we fast forward now, look at the appeal. I like it a lot. <laughs> This is still a team that's loaded. That hasn't yeah, changed at all. They're projected to have the best running back core, wide receiver core, offensive line, defensive line in the Big Ten. That's a pretty good okay. starting point. 
doesn't matter where you're coming from. That's a good starting point. Yeah. The questions that I have are a quarterback and in the back seven. Mm-hmm. That's reasonable. Headed we assume C.J. Stroud, right? Is that, that where everything is pointing to? We, we assume C.J. Stroud. We assume he's going to be the one to take over for Fields. He's pressed by both Jack Miller and Kyle McCord. Ryan Day has been very coy about naming a starter, doesn't want to do it until the last second. A lot of coaches do that. Right. But we're recording this July 27th. As of now, no starter has been named. Could be waiting a while. Who knows? There is a chance that some of you are going to be listening to this in August. Still not know who's mm-hmm. the quarterback. Is it Miller? Is it Stroud? Is it McCord? We'll, we'll, we'll find out. But the quarterback battle, I think, is where we've got the biggest question mark. Otherwise, there's a great support system for whoever ends up playing quarterback. I am very curious to see what Travion Henderson looks like. Okay. He is their all-world everything, true freshman running back. 24-7 comped him to Christian McCaffrey. He was the top back in the 2021 class. Yeah. So he's going to team up with Master Teague in the backfield. Suffice to say, Ohio State hasn't had a back like that in quite some time. In like a generation two years <laughs> no but jk dobbins jk Do- would you compare jk dobbins to a christian mccaffrey no obviously not in that same all-purpose way but in terms of electricity yeah, electricity you know, at the skill positions is never a problem give, for Ohio give State. Uh, jk dobbins the same room you give christian mccaffrey in the open field with the ball and they're both equally lethal and gonzo yeah i, I would I, i'm just saying he's, he's a little bit of a different back and i think sure. that's exciting Let's see what he can do from day one. I, I would expect that we'll see a lot from him. They've also got the best wideouts in the country. Again, Olave and Wilson, I just mentioned them before. But to have that support net for whoever the new quarterback is, that's a, a huge starting point. That is an advantage that most teams around the country don't have. Now, changing gears to the defensive side of the ball, this is where I have questions as well. One of the things that you find if you go through and read the previews, and listen to what fans had said on on some of their message boards or whatnot. I remember going into the 2020 season, and I think it was Chase Young had just gotten drafted by the Skins, number two overall. Mm-hmm. Washington and, football team. Excuse sir. me. And we yeah. had t- we had talked to I think Andy Staples about Ohio State on one of the shows that we did in the build up to the season, and the name Zach Harrison kept coming up. Zach Harrison. He's the next Chase Young. He's the next Bosa. Zach Harrison didn't take that big of a step forward he's good Mm -hmm. but it didn't materialize to that extent and i think they need him to step up to generate more pressure up front to really take some of the pressure off the back seven of this defense haskell garrett stepped up last year and he elected to come back he didn't have to he elected to come back he had a great year now ohio state's in a situation where both garrett and harrison are back In 2021, Mm -hmm. if they can generate pressure up front, that puts them in a good spot because the linebacking core has some turnover. The secondary, um, you know, wasn't great last year, took a step back. They do have a lot back in the defensive backfield. So I think it's safe to assume some improvement will be there, but a lot of room for improvement. And I think they can get there quickest if the line does its part, if they can find some better way to generate more of a pass rush in 2021. 
Uh, good place to start. They probably have the best defensive line coach in the country, Larry Johnson. Larry Johnson Sr. If you look at his recent track record, yeah, Larry Johnson Sr. Uh, you look at his recent track record and his not-so-recent track record. The dude just develops high-level NFL he's caliber doing. defensive linemen. Yeah, so. And they, they pulled in, what, the number one recruit or right there, number one recruit in the class in that the late commitment in JT Tuamalu. Yep. So good place to start in terms of depth, yeah. So Ohio State's coming at this season, certainly from position of strength. There's there's no denying that. Um, the schedule is favorable, if only because they don't have to play themselves. It's one it's one of the things that's get that gets overlooked all the time if you're in Ohio State or if you're mm-hmm. a Bama or if you're a Clemson. And why is the schedule strength so low? Well, they don't have to play themselves. They don't have to play themselves. It's a tricky opening couple weeks, though. It for sure is. At Minnesota, week two, they've got the Oregon game, which maybe mm-hmm. you have some insight on. Sure. Ohio State, through the years, we've seen it time and again over the last decade or so. They've done a really good job scheduling these non-conference opponents in the first few weeks of the season. They did it with Texas, did it with Oklahoma. Now we've got Oregon. And interestingly enough, you know, we talked about it on the last show, but after Oregon, they got Tulsa. I don't think Tulsa's going to beat Ohio State, but Tulsa plays defense, man. Yeah. They play defense, and who knows how that Oregon game goes. That Tulsa Tulsa matchup could be interesting, more interesting than it looks on paper. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. So if you're looking at the schedule, 47th in terms of strength of schedule, there are really only two rough patches. Um, they've got a patch where they go at Indiana, home against Penn State the last two weeks of October, and but that's after a bye. After a bye. Yeah. After a bye, correct. And then Michigan State at Michigan the last two weeks of November. Otherwise, though, they don't play Wisconsin. They don't play Northwestern. Maybe the Oregon game makes up for it. But provided that there aren't any huge catastrophes, this is this is a, a 11-win team, a 10-win team at worst. Yeah, it's it's landminey to start. Obviously, highlighted by the Oregon game uh, after Minnesota, but they have a little bit extra time since that Minnesota game is that Thursday night. And then I, I I'm just not worried that much about the Michigan schools in the way that I am of the the trickiness the trickiness of Indiana and Penn State. Yeah. Since well, the Penn State game is in uh, Columbus, so it's not a whiteout game. But even still, um, the best of Penn State, just from a talent perspective, I'm I would be more concerned about Penn State than I would the Michigan schools at this point. But uh, yeah, it's altogether a, a really workable, you're right, 10-11 wins seems like the basement, which is a good place to be. I think the main point here with Ohio State, and we've talked about it a little bit when we mentioned teams like Clemson, mm-hmm. the gap between Ohio State and the next closest is still very large in terms of talent. And yep. Penn State has recruited really well. Penn State hasn't quite developed players the way Ohio State has. Maybe that's the difference, but right. Ohio State still really has like a couple lengths on the next closest in the Big Ten. And yeah. it is years like this where they're going to be replacing a key position group, like the quarterback spot, total turnover, that you will find talent in other places picking up the slack. This This is when you'll see that big gap in talent from Ohio State versus everybody else. Yeah, and the the interesting thing, and you sort of mentioned bites at the apple at quarterback, even though there's no meaningful experience at quarterback, uh, if C.J. Stroud doesn't work out, if he gets hurt, like... They have the luxury right now of saying, okay, well, Jack Miller was a high... What was the the third? Kyle... I don't have his Kyle name. Kyle McCord. Kyle McCord, excuse yep. me. So there are 
bites at the apple to run this offense with players that a lot of people perceive to be pretty talented and able to get the ball to whatever the the new running back the new starting running back be it you know the Henderson whatever his name is the Travion incoming Henderson, yeah. Travion Henderson or obviously to Olave and Garrett Wilson so the bites of the apple thing is very real and one thing that I don't know if you were planning on mentioning is they might have the best tackle duo in the country uh just bookending their offensive line in yep. Nicholas Petit Frere and Thayer Munford. So especially when you look ahead to that Oregon game, which is highlighted by Kayvon Thibodeau and his ability to change big games, Ohio State's in a fantastic place to put, presumably, C.J. Stroud in an unbelievable position to succeed with who's protecting him, who's catching his passes, and who he might be handing the ball off to, although it's less obvious at running back uh, what the ceiling is still an advantageous position. Good for Ohio state. And you know, the, the irony of the quarterback thing for Ohio state is mm-hmm. they're battling it out now between Stroud and Jack Miller and Kyle McCord. Kyle McCord's actually the highest ranked out of all of them from a 24 like seven recruiting standpoint, mm-hmm. kid out of Eastern Pennsylvania, got him to go to Columbus. The, By you? Is he from where you are You are He's from, from Philly. He's, he's like an hour away. Oh, okay. So he's close. Went to, I think, St. Joe's Prep. But Kyle McCord is the highest ranked of all three. Hmm. And if not for the fact that he's only going to be a true freshman on campus this year, he might have a better... He might be in better position. Might have the pole yeah. position on that quarterback spot. But He was there for spring, though, which is a nice... There for spring. Nice there for jump spring. start. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. 11 wins. I... Feels like a good bet to me. I don't know. Yeah. There's there's probably not more than one or two losses on here. Double digit wins for sure if you're Ohio State. I think we give them a little bit of leeway given the fact that there's some turnover at quarterback, but still um, a very, very good team. Yeah. I, I mean, the Oregon game, they'll be favored. That's on paper. It looks to be their toughest matchup right now. They go up against a, a really tough offensive coordinator and Joe Moorhead if that Oregon offense is fully Moorheadian. And obviously, Oregon has a ton of talent on defense and going up against a brand new quarterback in week two. It's a good time to get CJ Stroud or whoever's under center yeah. just because whoever it is by week five, six should be incredibly comfortable. So it's a good time if you're Oregon, but even still, there's, there's a reason ohio state even with that uh that inexperience at quarterback will be favored in that game so that is yeah for obvious reasons a a big headline college football not just big 10 not just ohio state matchup got got your work cut out for you where you want me to go next let's go penn state let's go penn state i mentioned joe moorhead we mentioned the talent at penn state hasn't been necessarily developed on the level of ohio state's ability but uh let's go to happy valley we got no food we got no jobs our pets heads are falling off. Now I'm going to play it when we talk about Penn State because yeah. Penn State got off to an 0 and 5 start last year, mm-hmm. which is unheard of. It started with that overtime loss to Indiana, the one where Michael Penix went full extension in overtime. Maybe hit the pylon, maybe didn't, probably didn't. <laughs> Whatever. It was ruled what was it what it was ruled. It was ruled what it was ruled. Indiana got a huge win over Penn State, a program-defining win to an extent. And then Penn State went on to lose to Ohio State, to Maryland, to Nebraska, and Iowa, all in a row. Started the year 0-5. They were really bad against Ohio State, Dan. Really bad against Maryland, really bad against Iowa. Just did not, did not seem like it was congealing the way you would hope. If you're a Penn State fan, if you're James Franklin, it just no bueno. Across the board. Burn and disinfect your DVR if you still have the Nebraska game. On really bad, well. right? Really yeah. bad. Bad TV. 
But, you know, they lost five in a row and then they put it together. I mean, they won the last four. It wasn't against the same quality of competition, but they beat both the Michigan schools. They beat Rutgers. They beat Illinois. Across the board, like a lot of their numbers actually got better, which is kind of Mm -hmm. deceiving. You look at the record, you look at the numbers, and there was improvement in many key areas for Penn State. It wasn't entirely lost. It was just a COVID year. Yeah, it was a COVID year. 2020 was a lot, (laughs) a lot for all of us, a lot for Penn State, a lot for any of these college football teams. So, Mm -hmm. you know, between COVID, between the opt outs, between injuries, people forget that Micah Parsons, probably their best player, opted out. It's a huge Mm -hmm. blow. He went high in the draft. Some of you may recall. Journey (laughs) Brown also had to medically retire before the start of the season. We had injuries to Noah Kane very early. We had Pat Fryermuth get hurt as well. The next in a long line of baby, baby Gronks at Penn State. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then on top of it, they had Kurt Shiraka. I don't have the sound here. Kirk Shiraka. But they brought no, Kurt no, Shiraka no, in no. to yeah. install a new offense. And I think the important point about Shiraka here, and if you read some of what is said, like, the athletic in particular does some of those blind items where they talk to coaches and try to get feedback on how people feel about different aspects of this particular team. Mm-hmm. I think, I think there was widespread respect for Sharaka. People like Sharaka, but what needs to be said is that it was a little bit of a different system. Yeah. Pretty much across the board. The, the folks that came into Penn state, the players that came in, the talent that was recruited there was sort of recruited in that Moreheadian, that Ricky Ronian system. That You're was, using my Moreheadian adjective? I'm I can't so help touched. it. I'm touched. I can't help it. Yeah. But it's a different system. It's a little bit more tempo. It's it. Sharaka just, it was slower. A lot of RPO, a lot of quarterback run. Yeah. It was slower and it was different. And as if it weren't hard enough to install something new amid the pandemic, there was also a bit of a tight mismatch there between personnel and the scheme that I think Shiraka was trying to run. Now that doesn't account for all the troubles, but we saw it across college football last year when teams were installing new things. It didn't go particularly well. Jeff Halfley didn't install anything new. It was just all (laughs) vanilla down and out, right? There was nothing sophisticated about it. And so there, there was an issue with Shiraka. Uh, Just, you know, I said plenty of areas where they got better, but yeah, Ultimately, just too inconsistent across the board to really mount any kind of serious charge. That's how you go four and five with a roster like Penn State's. Yeah. So my question is, my question to you, though, is if you're going to sort of live in the muck there, uh, they started 0-5. How do you finish 4-0? Is it just opponent base? I know they they had some guys on offense emerge. Was it Parker Washington? Parker Washington. Yeah. Was uh, that emerged as that number two option. Jahan Dotson is back and clearly... Uh, all Big Ten, if not all American caliber. So there are elements to why you go four and zero after that start. Was there anything else that jumped out? Any other guys emerge to to sort of use to look forward optimistically? Yeah, I mean there there are. It's tough to point to any one thing. I I would say that I just think across the board they got a little bit more consistent. If you look at things like post game win expectancy and and some of the numbers in the in those last four games, it's clear that. I don't know if they tried to dumb down the playbook. I don't know if they tried to be, um, you know, they figured out who their guys were that they could rely on at that point in time. But it did seem like even some of the losses that Penn State had 
they did play like the Indiana game, I think is a, a great case in point. If you look at post-game win expectancy, they should have won that game. Oh, they handed that game. The turnovers were brutal. Yeah. So you see 0-5, that's very binary. It's a win or a loss. If you look sure. at the actual advanced statistics, they, they did better than met the eye. And I think uh, it just kind of came together down the stretch and they were able to go on that run. They built some momentum. They started feeling better about themselves. Look, Indiana, Ohio State, and Iowa were all legit very good teams in 2020. And they finished with a down Michigan, Rutgers, Michigan State, and Illinois, right? It's a good time to go 4-0 when you get to line up against those teams. As we move forward now to 2020... I like it a lot. <laughs> the appeal. Did, you, did you see Dumb and Dumber, by the way, in theaters when it came out in whatever it was, 95, 96, 97? I feel like I did, yeah. I definitely did in Florida and saw it with my parents and it hurt <laughs> because I was what, 13, 14 years old yeah. laughing like I did in that theater. Continue. Going back through the clips, it held up better than I expect. <laughs> it's still <laughs> stupid funny. I happen to agree. Penn State, people are high on Penn State in 2020, really high on Penn State because yeah. I think there is a tendency to look at what happened last year as like a quadruple black swan event. Weird year for everybody. Mm -hmm. Decimated with injuries and opt-outs. Trying to install a new offense. All these things working in tandem made it really, really difficult. This sure. year, pretty much everybody's back. It's a theme across the board. It's not unique to Penn State, the Big Ten, or any conference in college football. Yeah. They're also their turnover margin, turnover luck was particularly bad. So if you have talent and you have returning talent, there is that sort of regression to the mean or return to the mean turnover wise. I think there is a lot of optimism because A, there's a lot back and B, James Franklin had the quick hook with Shiraka. And again, no disrespect to Shiraka, but I hope that what he saw was what a lot of people saw and that there was a bit of a mismatch there. I kind of think that Yurcic was the guy they wanted all along. Now, Yurcic was at Texas. Right. And before that, he was at Ohio State. Before that, he was at Oklahoma State for a long time. This is a guy who basically can put up 40 points a game wherever he goes. He runs a lot quicker. It is a different system than what mm -hmm. we saw last year with Sharaka. I think it is tailor-made more for Sean Clifford than the Sharaka system, but we'll see. You know, part of the appeal for me as a Penn Stater is the fact that I don't think we have any excuses for Sean Clifford anymore. I have not been a Sean Clifford fan. Right. I'm not rooting against him actively, but I have never quite bought into this notion that there's this hidden extra gear that we don't know about. There's not a whole lot of evidence for me that makes me feel comfortable in saying that. So it look, if it's going to be anybody, it's going to be Yurcich who unlocks the full potential of Sean Clifford. We'll see. Clifford is going to be the guy. He's going to be the guy. He's going to be the X factor. The offense is pretty much loaded across the board at receiver, at running back. They brought over, brought over John Lovett from Baylor. Remember him? Of course. You have like 18 running backs in this team. It's been crazy. Good. Kane Great. is, Noah Kane is back. Kane is able, Dan. He's oh, healthy. No. I don't like that. Jahan I mean, Dotson. I like that he's able, yeah. Parker Washington. There's a lot here to like. Mm -hmm. I think the line should be pretty good. Okay. So they don't really have a whole lot of excuses on offense outside of, honestly, Sean Clifford. 
and maybe the system taking some time to actually settle in. There aren't a whole lot of breaks on the schedule. We'll talk about the schedule a little bit. They they kind of get off to a hot start against Wisconsin on the road, but um, I do think the defense again is going to be in a position where it's very solid. Feel better about the back than the front. They have to find some names up front. Had some turnover there. I don't know who those guys are going to be. They had some transfers. Some new guys come in. They need to find their guys up front along that line next to PJ Mustafer. That can help them generate pressure and stop the run. But there's a lot to like here. There's an awful lot to like here. You got to feel good if you're Penn State. And looking at the schedule, it's not an easy schedule, Dan, but it is spaced out pretty well. So you don't have a whole lot of room to breathe and say, just yeah. take a break. But it's spaced out in such a manner that there aren't any any true gauntlets that they have to worry about going through. And that should hopefully help them as well as they try to settle into more of a normal season in 2021. Yeah, I mean, we'll learn, obviously, a good amount from Penn State. So week one through three, weeks one through three at Wisconsin, the MAC champion Ball State Cardinals and New Look Auburn, whatever Auburn looks like. And um, yeah, we'll have, a, we'll have a good idea of Mike Yurcich and the changes and adjustments that he's made to this offense. And then, you know, Indiana, Iowa is going to be tricky. Uh, back half is spaced out nicely, like you mentioned. Like they, they have good teams on their schedule, but there are nice interruptions. Um, all due respect to Rutgers and Michigan State. It's and just Maryland there's there's Illinois, adequate yeah. buffer. There there's yeah the George Costanza buffer zone across the board here. The Ball State game is going to be interesting to me because I actually I like Ball State a lot. I don't think they're going to be Penn State. Drew Plitt guy. I like Drew Plitt, but my point okay. is just that after playing on the road at Wisconsin and having Auburn in the corner of your eye in Week Three, Ball State back home. Definitely not as high as stakes is going to be an interesting spot. Ball State's got a veteran team. They were good last year. They won the back. Mm-hmm. So don't don't sleep on that game. If it's one where you look at the bottom line and you see in the third quarter, it's a little closer than you'd expect. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised totally. by that. Otherwise, though, I think there's there's adequate spacing in between games. Illinois and then Ohio State. Maryland and then Michigan. I was just going to say, if Sean Clifford reaches his reasonable ceiling, reasonable potential, which is pretty good, but I don't believe that people are penciling him in as a a national sort of killer at quarterback. This is a 10-win team? 9-win team? I think it's a 9-3 and team. Okay. I think I think it's a nine and three team. Phil Steele's real high on Penn State. It seems like the entire world is high on Penn State as the most right. improved team. It's easy to make that call looking at what they have coming back and tough road slate though. Yeah. Tough road slate. Um, the whole thing's a referendum on Clifford for me. I hate to dumb it down into one point. Oh, yeah, it's the most important position. Yeah. It's okay. And I think we're gonna have the answer pretty soon. We're gonna know relatively early whether or not he's got that extra gear. Vegas has the over-under at nine. I think nine's the right number. Do you think there is a chance that after the Auburn game, because it is Villanova, before Indiana, Iowa, if there is going to be a change, do you think it could be that early, or would they wait for bye week Illinois tandem in uh, mid to late October? I I think they'd probably wait. Okay. You know, what, the, what they're up against, Dan, is that neither Taquan Roberson nor Christian Vio have much experience. Sure. And um, it's going to take them a while, I think, to settle into this new offense. Doesn't mean you won't see packages featuring those guys, 
especially Roberson. But I don't think it's like an imminent change if things go things go south unless some of these guys have performed better in the preseason than we have been led to believe. The Solid Verbal is sponsored by BetterHelp. Here's a question. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Would you go for a run? Would you take a nap? You know, a lot of us spend our lives wishing we had a little more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you in the first place. Therapy can help you figure that out and help you make it a priority so you can do more of it. Therapy can benefit everyone. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills, how to set boundaries, or just trying to find the best version of yourself. It's not just for folks who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com solid today and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash solid. Let, let's go blue. Let's go Michigan here. You're already sporting the shirt. Let's let's continue along. We got no jobs. Our pets' heads are falling off. Let's play it again. Talk about Michigan, Dan. Hmm. Two and four last season. People high on Penn State and Wisconsin returning to recent form haven't heard those same nah. piercings of optimism about the Wolverines. No. Nah. Two and four last season. Had a great start to the year on the road at Minnesota. Remember, I bet heavily on that Minnesota game. I was all in on Minnesota last year. <laughs> and Michigan just drilled them in the opener. Yeah. Minnesota didn't Min- have a good year either. Mike. No, and Minnesota was, news came out a little bit before, and they're like, we are missing a lot of yeah. players. <laughs> and so that's it's bad it's just sort of what was 2020, yeah. Yeah, bad, 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 bad beat for sure. But Michigan looked good there, but uh, the rest of the way was bad. They had losses yeah. to Michigan State, Indiana on the road, Wisconsin at home, Penn State on the road. The only other win all last year was against Rutgers, and they needed triple overtime to get that one. The important point on Michigan, this is a really inexperienced team. I'm not trying to make excuses for Michigan. I'm wearing the shirt, sure. though. Yeah, yeah. I'm rooting for Jim Harbaugh. It really, okay. truly was an inexperienced team last year. And when you had an inexperienced team and you had to deal with the pandemic and you're trying to teach players how to do stuff on Zoom, it just didn't compute for a lot of places. A lot of play. The offensive line is a great example. Lost four guys to the NFL. Had to figure it out on the fly. Then they lose both tackles to injury. What do you think happened to the run game? You think they had a great run game last year? <laughs> I'm going to assume no, not really. No. I think they, at least one guy transferred. At least Zach Charbonnet left. Yeah. Went to UCLA. Sure. Yeah. And defensively, it was it was kind of the same deal. You had guys moving on. The defense took a step back as well. So, like, yep. again, I, I come back to what I said about Florida State. That to, was very kind, by the way, if you watch that defense try to tackle in the open field. Take I a know. step back. They took steps away. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to say a little bit of kind of like I said with Florida State. Two teams in different situations. I'm not comparing the two. But kind of like what the hell do you think was going to happen, right? 
Sure. What do you think? What do you think was going to happen? And then expand out the quarterback, the most visible position on the field. Shea Patterson exhausts his eligibility. And then he got to deal with, is it Joe Milton? Is it Cade McNamara? Joe Milton was fine at first. Yeah. Then he wasn't. Then they turned it to Cade McNamara, who was better and more accurate. I don't think through an interception. Had like five touchdowns to no interceptions. But, but he was just okay. Sort of limited. Yeah. And, and where this all goes on some level, after you get past the excuses from 2020... And he actually popped the hood on what happened and try to project forward. The big takeaway is that quarterback position. And it's significant on a number of different levels for what Jim Harbaugh has done in his six, soon to be seven years in Ann Arbor. It, it really is sort of the point of so much angst in the Michigan community. The fact that they have not been able to home grow a quarterback. Right. Despite all the recruiting is really problematic, especially coming from the guy who developed Andrew Luck. Mm-hmm. That's what Michigan fans thought they were getting. And they haven't gotten it yet. So, and I don't, by the way, I don't fully blame a program for saying we are going to try to find more proven guys through the transfer portal. It's just trickier. It's just trickier to go year in and year out or to count on getting a year or two here, a year or two there. Like they've had, you know, Jake Rudock obviously finished his career in impressive fashion for Michigan. Shea Patterson had his moments, but wasn't amazing. Uh, but we've seen it other programs, especially what Oklahoma with rotating in Jalen Hurts and Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield. Like you can make a rotation of transfers at quarterback. Sure. Now that they have a homegrown one, it obviously is a, a feather in Lincoln Riley's cap that Jim Harbaugh doesn't necessarily have. But there is something to counting on the transfer portal to find more proven guys. But also, isn't Jim Harbaugh like the quarterback whisperer? He was supposed to be. He, yeah. he was supposed to be. And that is a huge source of consternation in the Michigan mm-hmm. community. The fact that he has not developed that position, that they're still sort of taking it's on wild. British comedy legend Alan Bowman or trying to figure out if Kate, Kate McNamara was a top 300 kid mm-hmm. out of high school. I felt like his upside was a little bit limited, but he was better than Joe Milton, who missed a lot of passes. Right. And so they just, he's got to figure this position out. I don't know if in year seven, it's suddenly going to be the year. Seven years. Yeah. Which is crazy. But the the larger point here about 2020, and certainly as we project forward, it's going to remain the theme of Jim Harbaugh at Michigan until he proves the doubters. Otherwise, can he develop that quarterback position? Can he develop talent? The way I think a lot of folks hoped. So we'll see. Even I don't know. Even can he develop like a B plus quarterback that he recruits? Like, I don't know. I'm not asking for Heisman caliber. Can he find like a Jake Browning type? I don't know. Can, you know. Well, maybe it's Hill maybe type? it's Alan Bowman. Maybe it's Alan Bowman. I guess. Now well, Alan I'm talking Bowman, about from day one, but yeah, from day one, yeah. But if you can get somebody, Shea Patterson came up and was fine. But you'll also recall that Shea Patterson, at least in the early going, and not necessarily by Michigan people, but by stiffs like us, mm-hmm. he was sort of seen as the missing piece right, in that offense. And he was fine. It just didn't, he wasn't that missing Spread and five star, yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. I don't know. I, I like Alan Bowman. I think he's better than Cade McNamara. I don't know if he's going to win that job. Depends where you look. Some people think it's Cade McNamara's job to lose. Other people think it's going to be Alan Bowman. Alan Bowman's got to stay healthy. Alan Bowman's been hurt the last couple of years. 
And if he's hurt, he's obviously not going to get his crack. But outside of that, Dan, like, you know, Bill Connolly's old saying about inexperience. Inexperience breeds experience. A year later, crack. people get older. They're a year older. So I would think in the Michigan case, we're due for improvement across the board. They're still very young. Right. Not a lot of seniors in that projected lineup. But the line was able to get some good experience last year, if only out of necessity. I think they're much deeper in 2021. Hassan Haskins is now officially the guy. You mentioned that Zach Charbonnet transferred over to UCLA. Ronnie Bell back at wideout. There's skill position talent there that any quarterback can work with. The other point that I would bring up. There's also guys on the defense. Guys on the defense. That are worthwhile. Aiden Hutchinson. Yeah. And Aiden Hutchinson is going to be very interesting to watch because what they did, what Harbaugh did in the offseason is, I think, recognize that, you know, what they had going before wasn't working. It was the Don Brown system. It was a 4-3. It was geared around a lot of pressure up front and putting your cornerbacks on islands, essentially, man-to-man islands, to cover whatever was going on by the opposing receiving core. Michigan lost a lot of those matchups last year, and it led to a real problem with the defense. The the fabric of the defense is based on that hyper-aggressive approach. When Mm -hmm. that didn't work, they had to change the approach. They had to play more zone. They had to kind of go outside of what Don Brown wanted to do. This year now, they bring over Mike McDonald, who I'm I'm trying so hard not to call him Michael McDonald. Yeah. Mike McDonald is something like 33, comes up from the Baltimore Ravens, and he is switching it up to more of a 3-4 hybrid. Aiden Hutchinson's a guy, one of those guys that he likes. They always talk about the guys that they do it the right way. Okay. Aiden Hutchinson's going to have his hand in the dirt. He's going to be a stand-up rushbacker. He's going to find himself in all sorts of hybrid roles. Mm -hmm. Good. We'll see if that... We'll see. He's really good. We're going to see if that system is able to generate more pressure up front and also if it's a little bit more forgiving for the back seven. Because again... They got themselves into trouble with that last year. So I don't I don't expect the same hyper-aggressive approach. They will certainly move guys like Aiden Hutchinson around and try and find ways to get him in the position to make havoc plays. Right. But I don't think we're going to see the same level of on-an-island-ness, if you will, that we saw <laughs> in the secondary last year. Island hopping. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I think that's reasonable, and it works when you have those NFL caliber corners, when you have Jordan Lewis, guys like that, and when you don't, it doesn't, right? It's it, oh. You have to be able to find those and develop those guys and be aggressive and take those chances, and you know, over the course of Don Brown's career at Michigan, you would see the numbers, you would watch the games, and they would make huge play after huge play in the backfield. They're a huge Havoc team, and then they would give up an 83-yard run because they took one too many chances or they took a chance that uh, an offense was able to counter. So, yeah. it, it look, it, Don Brown should dramatically improve Arizona's defense in the next couple of years and bully for the Cats. But yeah, I think it was it just seemed like something needed to be overhauled and that something was both the defense after watching where Michigan was last year and it's not like recruiting fell off a cliff for Michigan these past few years. They've recruited consistently at a pretty high level. They've done a good job. They just They just happen to be rivals and in a division with a team who's recruiting on an all-time level. So how do you counter that? Well, you have to be smart. You have to be smart in game. You have to to hit on a number of guys who, you know, maybe high three-star, low four-star guys, and you have to develop them. You absolutely have to win developmentally and schematically and culturally. 
And Michigan has struggled in all three of those phases, it seems. So it's going to be a very difficult road to where's my thing here? You are in luck. There's a town about three miles that way. I'm sure you'll find a couple guys there. Twelfth most difficult schedule in college football. Yeah, even getting Western Michigan early, they should win that game. But that's you're talking about a team with a good quarterback who can make plays yeah. on offense against a, a new Michigan defense. Love Western this yeah. year. And that's an interesting matchup. But look, Michigan's got a home game against Washington in week two. They draw Wisconsin and Northwestern out of the West. The schedule, much like Penn State's, is actually spaced out fairly well. Yeah. And they don't go on the road until the first week of October against Wisconsin. But we'll find out what they're made of in November. In November, they've got Indiana, a road tilt against Penn State, another road game the following week at Maryland, a week before Ohio State, which is the big one. That's the one that Jim Harbaugh needs to win. So 12th most difficult schedule in college football. Vegas has the over-under at eight. And most people are going under, which... I don't know. That seems low to me. They don't have a, maybe until the Indiana game, they don't have receivers on their schedule that truly scare me. I know Western has done a good job on offense, but uh, the Washington offense is not built around top flight receivers getting the ball at all. Uh, you know, Northern Illinois has really struggled. Rutgers, Wisconsin has had that that struggle, and we'll talk about that on the West episode. But like, I don't, I don't think people are crazy high on Kendrick Pryor and Danny Davis. Um, and then Nebraska can't keep receivers in the program. Northwestern, I mean, it's Ryan Holinsky throwing to whom exactly this year? Yeah, and Michigan right. State is starting over again on offense. Rocky Lombardi leaves, so. It's one of those things until the Indiana game, Michigan has time to sort of figure out what it can and can't do on defense. I, I just think the issue is going to be, is there going to be any pop on offense? Yeah, and the, the problem I have is that they've probably got enough talent to beat anyone on the schedule, including Ohio State. Disagree. <laughs> Full disagree. In, in Look, could it happen in a blue moon? Yeah. They've got a ton of talent on that team, but oh. there's uncertainty at quarterback, which I don't feel sure. great about. We've got a defense switching systems, which I also do not feel great about, even if the system is better. I like the fact that the meat of their schedule is late, to your point, but in order to top eight wins, Dan, they're going to have to beat someone that they're not supposed to. And I don't know sure. if that's Washington, Wisconsin, Penn State, Ohio State. Oh, they State. can beat Washington. Yeah. And then they got to win all the rest. So to get to eight, just to get to eight, even though it feels low, it really is not giving them a whole lot of wiggle room. If they go seven and five, Harbaugh is gone. He's gone. Done. But, and even eight, yeah. even eight and four might not be good enough. So it's a tough spot for him, but there is a lot of uncertainty about that Michigan program. I think they'll be fine. They're going to go to a bowl. It's not going to be at all like last year with two and four, but. Yeah, there's there's cause for concern and there are some real questions. Look, through Halloween, they should start. They should start six and two. They should. I, I'll I'll forgive losses to Washington and Wisconsin. They lost by like thirty five to Wisconsin last year. But uh, if if it's some kind, if they can win one of Washington, Wisconsin, Northwestern, I believe that means they're six and two. Western Michigan, Northern Illinois, Rutgers, Nebraska. Um, and, uh, and Michigan State thereafter. Sorry, Michigan State's that program. They should beat Michigan State. I know they lost last year. They should beat Michigan State. So I think the expectation should be 
They look improved. They look competent. They look together. They look bought in. Uh, there's still talent all over the field. You mentioned, or I don't know if you mentioned Dax Hill, who I like at safety, but yeah. there's just, they don't have the talent to beat Ohio State because part of having the talent is needing above average play from quarterback. Needing. And they've, I mean, what was it? David Blau and uh, Nate Stanley <laughs> at, at Purdue and Iowa. David Blau. Does, does Blau. Michigan have a David Blau or Nate Stanley on its roster in terms of experience and production needed? And obviously, Ron Dalmore was a huge part all of that. I'm saying about, all I'm saying about Michigan with respect to Ohio State is that if you're going to catch him, catch him in the first year of a new quarterback. Catch him, I guess. Catch them, even though they're loaded across the board, catch them when... You know, you can bring Alan Bowman in and maybe burn him deep on a couple passes. There is some vulnerability there. There are some real questions. It's not a lot. Sure. It's splitting hairs, but I would much rather do it this year than a year from now when all these guys have more experience. Uh, Dwayne Haskins in his first year as a starter for Ohio State, 20 of 31 for 396, 12.8 <laughs> yards per attempt and six touchdowns to no interceptions. Uh, with a QB rating of 235.6. Look at Fields. Look at Fields two years ago. Yeah. Could have so, won the Heisman. Uh, first year Ohio State quarterback against Michigan. Totally cool. <laughs> Let's go to Indiana, Dan. Yeah. Let's go to the Hoosiers. Six and two last season. They lost by seven. Mm-hmm. On the road to the Buckeyes. They lost by six to Ole Miss in the bowl game, but they beat Penn State. They beat Michigan. They beat Wisconsin. Huge wins for this program. Huge yeah, wins absolutely. that changed the perception of the program. Tom Allen's been building it for a while, as we've discussed on the show. But it didn't take early effect in the 21 class. But if you look ahead to the 22 class, and 23 class is still taking shape. They've only got one commit. But right. thus far, it seems like the results are there. It seems like maybe Tom Allen has been building some of this momentum and been finding some ways to apply it on the recruiting trail. Right. And that's significant. That's how you build programs. It doesn't happen overnight. It's a slog. And I think Tom Allen's doing it the right way. He's an easy guy to root for. Mm-hmm. Six and two last year was a just a great place to be. It was a team led by defense. Really solid defense. They forced a ton of turnovers. Their turnover margin was plus 12, which is crazy. They were in opposing backfields all day long, breaking mm-hmm. up passes, finding ways to be electric on defense, made a lot of plays, especially in the secondary. Yes. Look at the numbers. I mean, just a great secondary last year. And that should continue. That should continue yeah. again as we look ahead now into 21. They gave up. They took chances and gave up some plays. But yeah, it was it was impressive play from that defense, which is what Tom Allen does, right? Whenever he does, Tom yeah. Allen goes to a place, that defense immediately improves and, and sort of buys in more than ever. And also, it was a year in which the legend of Michael Penix Jr. was sure. born. Um, the thing about Penix that I think we found last year is that he really had a tendency to step up when the lights were the brightest. The Penn State sure. game is a great example. Started 12 of 29. Wasn't really having a good game. Completed his last seven passes, dove for the pylon and won the game in overtime. Look at the Rutgers game. Starts 3 of 10. Gets his act together. Goes 14 of 16 the rest of the way. So, we all know the lights are brightest against the Scarlet Knights. You know Continue. it. <laughs> you know it. Yeah. Michael Penix Jr. went down with and ACL second to last game of the year. He has been out 
for the season each of the last three years. He had an ACL. Yeah. Then he had, what was it, a broken collarbone or something, and then an ACL again last year. Mm-hmm. So he's got to stay healthy. But as we look forward into 21, 17 starters back. Michael Penix Jr. healthy. Ty Freifogel is back. Clearly, that's going to be the focal point of the offense. Penix has been outstanding as a quarterback, as I just said. Mm-hmm. The front seven is going to be really good again. Maybe the best linebacking core in the Big Ten. Micah McFadden is back Wow, at middle linebacker. Really good in the back again. Just a solid team across the board. Is Tom Allen's kid back? I don't know. He got hurt. That okay. Yeah. Continue. I'll look it up while you're, while you're talking. But, you know, just a solid team with a likable coach and a schedule that does not feature any gauntlets. Mm-hmm. It's spaced out well. Again, recurring theme. Open at Iowa, they've got Idaho. Then they play Cincinnati, which is a tough game, but then they play Western Kentucky. Then they play Penn State, then it's a bye. Then Michigan State, then Ohio State, then Maryland, then Michigan, then Rutgers, then Minnesota, and Purdue. So it's like every other week, if you're an Indiana fan, you've got a really big game to look for, and they can continue to build this thing and continue what they started from a year ago. Now, what I do worry about is the offensive line, because okay. for as many, especially since Penix needs to stay upright, Penix yeah. needs to stay upright for as many havoc plays as Indiana created last year. That's how many they gave up, mm-hmm. especially that Penn State game, especially the Penn State game. Penn State's defensive line was in the backfield pretty much the entire game, <laughs> pretty right. much the entire game. And when you got a quarterback with injury concerns, you got to you got to do better. So that's an issue. At running back to help support Penix, we've got a running back by committee thing that's going to go on. Stephen Carr transferred over from USC, which I didn't know about. I think the USC running backs coach left for Indiana. I think that's he followed him out. So there are some names. Samson James, Stephen Carr, Tim Baldwin, David Ellis. There's some guys Mm -hmm. that are going to get work. We'll see if any of them emerge. They got to be more efficient through the air. They got to take more risks through the air. They're really good at winning with defense a year ago. It's tough to continue doing that if you're a team like Indiana. The depth is better, but it's just it's tough to continue doing that. They got to take more chances with Penix. And defensively, there is room to improve against the run, splitting hairs because it was a really good defense. But if they can get that defense further tuned up and the offense, again, just takes a marginal step forward, that puts Indiana in a great spot. Vegas, Dan, only has them at seven and a half. Yeah. I mean, they did, they did take chances last year. I mean, they were bombing down the field against Ohio State with uh, Whopper and Fries over there. Yep. But there's, there's a lot of production to sort of replace there now. Vegas has them at seven and a half. Most folks are hitting the over. Yeah. And Fry Fogel is back, to be clear. But yeah. Fry Fogel is back. I love the over here. Okay. I absolutely love the over. I think you can get to seven wins on this schedule without really breaking a sweat. And that doesn't include any teams they shouldn't beat. Those are all teams that if you look at on Man. the surface, they should beat them. One, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah. I, so what, what is the difference between seven and eight? Who is that team? Seven Michigan, and eight, Minnesota? Probably Michigan or Minnesota. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, they have Michigan on the road, Minnesota in uh, in Bloomington the week before the Oak and Bucket game. 
Penix has to stay healthy. He has to stay healthy. Sure. If he gets hurt and they have to go to Jack Tuttle, that's fine. He was fine when he came in last year. Uh, you want to watch the Maryland game? Fine. You really, don't want to watch the Maryland game. Don't really do much but, about watching Wisconsin game. Don't do that. Don't. Nope. I would prefer Penix. As would I. As All would right. Indiana fans. Yeah. Let me rifle through the remaining three teams here. In the Why? East. Let's really explore the space. Michigan State, Dan. What do you think yeah. of Michigan State last year? Oh, man. Some high highs, some low lows. <laughs> Two high highs, to be exact. Yeah. Well, they beat Northwestern and Michigan, right? Mm-hmm. That was a weird Northwestern game. Okay, Very continue. Weird. Very weird. So, let's rewind. Let's take a look at what happened. Mark D'Antonio resigns the day before signing day mm-hmm. february 4th in a mad panic michigan state goes out they probably overpay for mel tucker five and a half million dollars a year to bring him up we'll from see. colorado and then COVID hit yeah and then COVID hit it's a terrible combination and so again what the hell did you think was going to happen right they were really bad on offense, Dan. Mm-hmm. Really bad. 109th in the SP+. Plus. Yeah. But honestly, honest to goodness, you've seen the SP+, Plus sheet. I really hope you're going to say something like, the numbers don't even do it justice. They don't. They don't. It was much worse. It was much worse. Yeah. Okay. It was much worse. I'm sure you rewatched a little terribly. It was so bad. Yeah. So bad. And there were factors. Again, I'm not trying to dunk on Michigan State. It was an impossible situation. Elijah Collins dealt with COVID yeah. for a chunk of the year. He only had 41 carries, 90-some-odd yards. Mm-hmm. He was like a 1,000 yard back the year before. To not have him was a, a huge loss. Yeah. They tried with Connor Hayward, who was a receiving back, and Jordan Simmons, but they didn't have a guy outside of their quarterback position averaging more than four yards a carry. And so it was just not good on the running front. And that's no, I mean, sort this, of what they the do. worst possible year, worst possible year to be a new head coach and trying to install new systems. Yeah, yeah, you're spot on here. The quarterback and, quarterback position was a mess. Rocky Lombardi, who's now transferred to a Mac school, which we'll and I, probably, yeah. we'll talk about. Um, but he was terrible. He threw nine picks. Who did Michigan State bring in? Peyton Thorne. Yeah, Peyton. Did Thorne. they bring in somebody else? Am I, am I mistaking this? Peyton they, Thorne is the guy that they brought in against Penn State end of the year through three no, touchdowns. Who do they bring in from the transfer portal for this year? Oh, they brought in somebody, Ty. I think I have this marked down. I'll get yeah. there in a second. I think it's Anthony Russo Anthony from Russo. Temple. Oh, I think, yeah, oh, okay. So, I blacked out. That's, that's what it meant yeah. to me when I read it. Okay, continue. But it was just bad across the board. The line was in shambles. The defense held together pretty nicely. It ranked highly in the SP plus, but again, I kind of feel like the SP plus makes it look better than it was. It was the strength of the team. No doubt about that. No doubt about it. But um, just a bad year, a bad year for Mel Tucker in year one to the extent where you almost it's a year zero. It's totally year zero. It's a year zero and you can't hold it against him. So now this is like the actual year one for Mel Tucker. Yeah. As we move forward and it, they're going to get better. They have to get better. They kind of don't have a choice in the matter. It looks like they're all healthy at running back. Hopefully Elijah Collins is back. I remember on the show last year, I was pulling my hair out. Where's Elijah Collins? Where's Elijah? 
He's dealing with COVID. Sick. Yeah. He's sick. Right. Kid was sick. Mm-hmm. So, you know, give him some slack. He's healthy. Supposedly he, he seems more himself. The wide receiving core again is pretty solid. Uh, the entire two deep on the offensive line is back. Good and bad perks to that. Yeah. Cause the line I'm was just, bad, but I'm looking at these numbers and I, I know, man, I, I know I would still rather have the experience. Sure. Of course. I'd rather have a quarterback that I could count on. Well, it's funny you should say that. Okay. So Mel Tucker went full Mike Norvell and hit the transfer portal very hard. Lost okay. 22 players since October yeah, which is on the like, transfer portal. It's just going to happen. New head coach and everything. Yeah, I, I get 22 is a lot though, Dan. Yeah. It was like second most many, in the country. Many coaches, yeah. But he did add 15 new guys, including Anthony Russo from Temple. Now, I didn't realize that Anthony Russo was this big. He's a big dude. 6'4", 245. Okay. It doesn't make him a good quarterback. Not necessarily. It it just doesn't. His ratio at Temple was not great. 44 touchdowns to 32 picks. Completed around 60% of his passes. He was through, you know, a couple new offensive coordinators and maybe that factored in. I don't know if he's better than what they have. Rocky Lombardi's gone. He went NIU, right? Correct. Is Russo better than Peyton Thorne? I don't know. I really don't know. He is presumed to be the starter. So clearly some of the folks in the preview business feel that way. Mm-hmm. But why, well, you know, that remains to be seen for me. It's going to be an ongoing discussion throughout the early part of the year at a minimum. Yeah. I mean, just Michigan State needs to ascend to frisky that's yeah. their next goal is to lose a bunch of one possession type games because otherwise like their defense seemed okay especially given how behind the eight ball they were put by their own offense so if their defense gets some time to just catch their breath the offense moves the ball, you know, is competent on third and shorts and in the red zone. We're not talking scoring 35 a game, but the next stage for Michigan State is losing games 20 to 17 or winning games 20 to 17, 17, 14, something like that. And need to be aggressive with recruiting to a very specific offensive identity if it's ball control recruit the hell out of the offensive line and running back and whatever and accurate quarterbacks even if they're not going to be uh killers throughout the conference but short of that i i I want to see michigan state take some chances on offense with the way the team is constructed schematically you know jay johnson has you know i think that's the coordinator's name he was at georgia and colorado so we'll see but recent track record is sort of toss up with the michigan state offense but uh yeah, there's a very specific brand Michigan State football I think still carries defensively, but I don't, I don't you know, you, you need something. We need competence on offense, please. Yeah. Well, the schedule is the 27th most difficult in the country. They're at Northwestern to start the year, which is not easy. That's tough. They're winning at, streak, though. Winning streak, correct. <laughs> at Miami two weeks later, which is a, a strange non-conference matchup, two teams that don't necessarily feel like they fit together but Mm -hmm. be an early test for michigan state much more so than miami right they've also got games at indiana home against michigan 
And then to close out the year at Ohio State, home versus Penn State on consecutive weeks. So kind of kind of backloaded as you get to the latter stages of October, which is both good and bad. There are still some really tough opponents in that early part of the schedule, but it is still easier than the back half. And hopefully it gives some of these guys more opportunity to get ready for that back half. I think five and seven would be an enormous win for Michigan State this year. With where yeah. they are at quarterback, where they are at just on offense in general, if they can scratch out five, I think that's a, a really nice step forward. And have four of those seven losses be relatively competitive. Six and six is the absolute ceiling. Let's just leave oh, it at man. that. It's, absolute, it's the absolute ceiling. Yeah. Absolute ceiling. It's year one, officially now year one. I mean, you look at the schedule, Ty. Yeah, I mean, you look at the schedule, Michigan State. Northwestern, real tough. I know they beat them last year, but real tough win. Youngstown, sure. Uh, Western Western Kentucky, sure. Rutgers, sure. Purdue, sure. Maryland, maybe. Six and six assumes that they're beating Youngstown, Nebraska, Western Kentucky, Rutgers, Purdue, and Maryland, and then loses to the other six. I, man... That's the if you want to get the six and six, that's the I think path of least resistance to get. I there. think Nebraska has a nice shot against Michigan State this year. Yeah, um, I agree. Okay, Maryland, fear the turtle, Dan. Maryland, yeah, two and three last season in year mm-hmm. two of the Loxley era. Arguably the most electric two and three team in the country. Ah, number one in the <laughs> nation. <laughs> Uh, in, in what? Uh, in explosive plays? Yeah. The first team in the history of FBS football, dating all the way back to when they started this thing, to win back-to-back games as an underdog of 18 or more points in both games. Wow. Nice little nug. And those two opponents were Minnesota and Penn State. Mm-hmm. If you take anything away from 2020, just take away that they got to see... Talia Tungavailoa. Tungavailoa. That's the output from the year. Right. That's he the big takeaway. No, he did play week one, didn't he? When they got just demolished by Northwestern. He played a little bit. Yeah. He played a little. Recall. I don't recall. But it's like, but, here's the thing. Yeah. So much of a new coach is, so much of a new coach having successes forming that identity. Right. And a big part of that identity stems from Who's your quarterback? Do you have your quarterback? I think they found their guy in Talia. Mm-hmm. I think they like him. And sure. we've made jokes about it in the past, but Mike, Mike Loxley is a very talented recruiter, especially in an area of the country like the DMV that he knows particularly well. Talia, by the way, threw 25 passes against Northwestern. 25 passes, okay. So he just kind of laid an egg, threw three picks, and then had two just incredible games the following two. That's right. That's Not right. weeks, but matchups, yeah. But what Loxley is doing is he's starting to prune off some of these five stars and and high four star kids that are in the area. Rakeem Jarrett is is a really good example at wide receiver. We got to see him a little bit towards the latter half of the season, had a really good game against Penn State. So I I just it's tough for me to read too deep into what we saw. They were exciting in in many aspects of the football game. Very exciting. Um, Jake also Funk very out of nowhere. Jake Funk, 8.6 a carry out of nowhere. He yeah. was fun. Yeah. Big dude. 
So the appeal now moving forward is just this this team's really young. Yeah. 17 starters back from a year ago. Only one guy of all of the projected starters, only one guy is a senior. Hmm. Which is a crazy foundation moving forward if they can stick to it and people don't get hurt. We're going to see more of Talia. We're going to see more of Rakeem Jarrett. See if they can continue that success that they started from a year ago. We're also going to see some of that likewise top flat type flight talent on the defensive side in Terrence Lewis, who was their big linebacker recruit. Mm-hmm. Maryland's got a great linebacking core, at least in the recruiting game. We'll see how that materializes out there on the field. But this is a team that's really young that I am really unsure of where to go with. I, it's it's a tough schedule, but the over-under is six wins, so it's like kind of on the fringe ah. of bowl eligibility. It's not going to be what it was last year. I think they'll improve across the board. A lot of it stems from, uh, uh, the uncertainty stems from to what degree is some of this new talent going to show up? And can they knock somebody off along the way? If they can knock somebody off along the way, which they did last year, there are some stretches though in this. I mean, the middle stretch of their schedule. It's oof. They could could they could begin the season four and zero. Yeah, they get West Virginia at home. West Virginia had its own offensive issues last year. Um, Howard, Illinois, Kent State. I know we like Kent State in terms of an entertainment team, but Maryland. I, I think they should win that game. We'll see. It's at home, and then they have Iowa, Ohio State. Um. A buy and then is trickier, but yeah, yeah, a buy and then there's a Minnesota game on the road before they come home for Indiana and Penn State back to back weeks. Yeah, they're gonna. I think they're gonna beat somebody. I don't know who, but when you got a young team like this that did play pretty hard a year ago and did have that pop, has that tendency for big plays. Like they're gonna beat somebody along the way. I don't know who, but yeah, I I, I see. So the the likeliest upsets are Michigan. I mean, they beat Penn State last season. Uh, Minnesota had that crazy ending with the missed PAT. So there are there are teams that they've already hung with or beaten or have shown themselves capable of beating. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it, it's they they feel like a human shootout. Um, they are. I don't know what that even means. They any given week they could lose 42 to 38 or win 42 to 38 outside of probably the Ohio State game yeah. and the Iowa game but yeah otherwise yeah they, they, they seem like the the Big Ten toss up team for sure I can get 70 miles to the gallon on this hog 6 and 6 is the absolute ceiling okay I think for Maryland I look forward to watching Maryland football which I have not been able so to I. say for quite some time no yeah. it's true I really do okay Finally, let's go to Rutgers. Let's. Three and six last season and Greg Schiano's first year back since 2011. Sort of felt like a six and three year, though, from a Rutgers yeah, standpoint. Yeah, a competitive three and six. It was an embarrassment. No. They legitimately got better. They had wins over Michigan State, Purdue, and Maryland. They hung with both Illinois and Michigan. I mentioned the Michigan game earlier, which went to triple overtime. They scored a lot more points. And I think that's significant. They scored a lot more points. They felt good about it. On defense, they actually led the Big Ten in tackles for loss. 71 as a team. 
So there were okay. bright spots. There were bright spots. Yeah. It, it felt like things were moving in a positive direction, especially now going into 21. There are 21 starters back, all 11 on offense. Also, it should be noted, Sean Gleason, which, you know, love the guy or hate him as offensive coordinator. He's back. Do people have strong Sean Gleason opinions? I don't know. I don't know. But here's why I bring that up. Even if you don't like the offensive coordinator situation at Rutgers, Mm -hmm. Sean Gleason was, before this coming year, the 11th new offensive coordinator at Rutgers in 11 years. That makes sense. Talk about a revolving door, Dan. I like Noah Vedral. Noah Vedral came over from Nebraska. Mm-hmm. Didn't put up crazy numbers, but I think gave them some stability at the quarterback position, which has also been a bit of a revolving door, you may recall, over the last however many years. On defense, 10 starters back. The defense, again, had a ton of havoc plays, especially in the front seven. Potentially one of the better defensive back units in the Big Ten. We know yeah, I mean, they hit the, the transfer portal really hard these past couple of years. And we know Shiano knows defense. He's yeah. a defensive-minded guy. His offenses aren't the most exciting, but at least on the defensive side, I think he can build something. Sure. The schedule, again, like all these teams, is not super easy. 35th most toughest in the country, but there's three waves of it. You've got a Temple, Syracuse, and Delaware wave to start. <laughs> I like that the wave terminology there. Continue. I think they can win all three of those games. Okay. Then you've got Michigan on the road. You've got Ohio State. You've got Michigan State. And you've got Northwestern. That's a tough stretch. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're winning any of those. Well, the Michigan, they were extremely close last year to beating Michigan. Michigan State, we'll, we'll see with Northwestern. They're due for a dud. And, you know, I, I don't have, I'm looking right now in front of me, who... Like, it's a bye week before Northwestern gets Rutgers. Um, but, you know, maybe they'll get lucky and jump up with some letdown look-ahead situations. No, I, I think it's possible. And then the final wave is on the road at Illinois, followed by Wisconsin at Indiana at Penn State. Close out the yeah. year with Maryland. Yeah. If I if I take a relatively optimistic point of view on that schedule... I can highlight the first three, Temple, Syracuse, and Delaware. And I can highlight two of the last five in Illinois and Maryland. And I can get them to five. Yeah. I don't, I don't, big Cinco. I don't feel, yeah. Thank you. I don't feel great about that. The Vegas over under is four, which I think is a so good the number. The drive for five, Rutgers. The drive for five. Yeah. Okay. And that's your Big Ten East, Dan. That's your Big Ten East. Now, my question to you is. Because I inappropriately researched the Mac, which side did I research? You did the, same the West. One as you did the Mac. So I did the Mac West. Would you like me to go through the West, or do you just want to handle the West because it was my mistake that I should have researched the Mac East? Uh, it's up to you. Why don't we both go through it? Let's just do it. Okay. Quick. Okay. We, we both did the research. We should both. It's true. Benefit from that. Hey, there are some good teams in the Mac West. Hey, if you want to flip the script and say the Big Ten East has a lot of quarterback questions, there are some quarterback answers yeah, man. in the MAC West. Most of these teams bring back most of their players, which again, recurring theme. Mm-hmm. But there are some there's some good teams. There's sure. some good teams. I look through the Phil Steele magazine. He's not high in the MAC. He's got it as the worst conference in college football. Hater. Um, just kidding. You know, 
maybe. I don't know how they compare to some of the other schools out there, but I think especially on this side of the conference between Ball State and Western Michigan and Central Michigan. Toledo. At Toledo, right. Even yeah. even Eastern Michigan. Like there there's a lot to like here across the board in the Mac West. I mean, there's a reason why the Maction caught on as it has, because it's a conference that has found quarterbacks, has found offensive minds, has found offensive skill, and has really struggled defensively, yeah. which makes for a lot of entertaining games. A lot which, of entertaining games. Uh, yeah. we're, we're talking about a Western Michigan team that struggled playing defense, and they'll be okay because of the experience. Uh, a Central Michigan team sometimes was okay defensively last year. I mean, NIU is truly a bad team. Ball State, uh, really good linebacking core, but, you know, had some issues defensively. <laughs> Toledo uh, issues. They beat the, the bad teams and uh, lost to the good ones, the decent ones. And Eastern Michigan had an abysmal defense. So yeah. it's a lot of like experience on offense, promising quarterback or full-on good quarterback in the case of Western and Caleb Ellaby. Uh, I know we mentioned Drew Plitt, and on the other side, it's Dustin Crumb for Kent State but uh, I mean the entertainment factor whatever your opinion is of the quality extremely high talk to me about Ball State sure uh, I mean, Drew Plitt, this will be his third season, I believe, at quarterback. Ball State wins the conference, beating Buffalo in that championship game, and, and your guy Lance Leopold. Um, you know, it's experienced offensive line, good receivers. I mentioned the linebacking core, uh, but they have a bunch of super seniors back, which is nice because they are on the road against Penn State and uh, on the conference side of things, Western Michigan. So yeah. a tougher slate and i don't know how seriously you can take you know all these mac teams have to schedule up financially uh in the non-conference part of the schedule but uh no ball state's in a really nice position to to repeat in the conference especially with lance leopold leaving for kansas it's a team that plays with a ton of tempo Mm -hmm. in that hurry up no huddle style and drew plitt who you mentioned he's good he's reliable knows what to do with the ball Good against man coverage. Good against zone coverage. He's just solid. He's a six-year yeah. guy. The over/under for Ball State seven and a half, which I feel good about. It feels wow. low to me. Actually, a lot of these numbers feel very low to me in in the MAC West. Ball State is the defending champion. Now, it depends where you look. It depends which preview you read, which one that you connect with, because depending where you look, you may see somebody that favors Ball State to win this side of the conference. You may see somebody that favors Toledo and Jason Candle. You may see somebody that favors Western Michigan and Caleb Ellaby. I kind of feel like you and I are both on the Western Michigan train here. Yeah, I mean, Caleb Ellaby is crazy entertaining. Total dude, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, he protects the ball. He he extends plays. He's athletic, uh, is very accurate. Uh, He's an extremely fun watch. They, you know, Tim Lester has a good one and Caleb Ellaby for sure. If all goes well, you could you could get the 10 wins with Western Michigan. And the over-under is only six. Who do they have? They have Michigan and anybody else? Michigan and Pitt. Okay. Which I are not great matchups, but not yeah. great matchups, probably losses. But yeah. I think with the offensive firepower that they have with LB uh, with Darius know. Jefferson next to him, yeah. They've got two of the top three receivers back. Four linemen back. The offense is the offense is going to have a big year. That offense okay. is good enough to beat almost anybody in the conference. So four and two last year could have beaten Ball State. They choked away a late lead. 
I think 10 wins is out there. I don't know if they get there, but I would definitely go over six wins. By the way, I looked up when you mentioned uh, sixth year senior Drew Plitt. I have now looked up the billboard, not billboard, the box office for September 1st, 2015 to see how old 2015 movies are. I haven't heard of any of these. I mean, I heard of number one straight out of Compton. Yeah. War Room, No Escape, Rogue Nation obviously saw Mission Impossible, Hitman, Agent 47, Sinister 2, The Man from Uncle, American Ultra, The Gift, and then at number 10, the original Ant-Man. Wow. Not a great year for movies. No, not a great week for movies. Minions, Jurassic World. Okay. Uh, yeah. It, it, I don't know. It feels like a long, long time ago. All right. Um, who else interests you Toledo. in the Mac West? Toledo. All right. Let's talk Toledo. New quarterback. Talk about Ball State. Talk about Western Michigan. Who Who's Toledo's new guy? So probably, and they, they're they selecting between all sorts of like country club sounding names, but it's Carter Bradley who played last year a little bit. Eli Peters was good last year. He got hurt in the spring and he's donezo. Um, they're an okay team. I mentioned that they beat the worst teams on the schedule and they lost to the decent ones on their schedule. Uh, they stopped the run. There's there's a good amount of experience. You, know, that's, you mentioned that as a theme for everybody. Uh, they travel to Notre Dame. I think they're going to be fine, but I don't think there's enough pop to get back to where they were three, four, five years ago. Yeah. The in, the interesting thing that Jason Candle did before last season was he brought on six new assistant coaches. Okay. Yeah. He overhauled things. Overhauled stuff and it worked. It worked really well. Four and two last year. They lost to Western. They lost to Ball State, each by only three points. Mm-hmm. Played well enough to beat Ball State. Eventually, Ball State won the conference. Yeah. So it was a good year for Toledo. I think it showed that Jason Candle can adjust on the fly. It's part of why a lot of folks like him mm-hmm. as a candidate at the Power 5 level at some point in time. Let's go to Central and Eastern Michigan, Dan. Yeah. So we have Jim McElwain with Central Michigan, who, I mean, they weren't amazing last year. Let's be clear. They were a pretty average team. They ran the ball relatively well and stopped the ball sometimes well against the run. But Jacob Sermon comes in. And so he's presumed to be at least in the quarterback battle. He was a blue chip quarterback that started his career out in Seattle at Washington, uh, but also they're at Mizzou and at LSU. So it's a return to the SEC, I suppose, for Jim McElwain. But, uh, yeah, the chips have their work cut out for them. We'll see if uh, Sermon's a difference maker if and when he gets the starting job. And on the Eastern side, two and four season last year, led by the pass first offense, let down by the defense. Talk about truly bad defense. Yeah. Boom or bust, right? The offense is going to continue to be uh, deluxe maction. Yeah. And they bring back a lot. So you can expect a lot from them. Frankly, expect a lot of shootouts. That's that's how they're going to have to win. They gave up 27 points in every game last season. Okay. Which isn't ideal. Sometimes more than 27. Uh, most of the time more than 27. <laughs> yeah. Even still, the, the job Chris Creighton has done with a program as traditionally down as Eastern Michigan was is still pretty impressive that they are, by and large, a competitive team. And our final team here, the Northern Illinois Huskies, Dan. Yeah, they are. Speaking of truly bad, NIU has been bad the since Rod Carey Tom, left. Tom Hammock yeah. is the name of their coach. 
So they go winless last year. Now Rocky Lombardi is in the mix for that starting quarterback job, replacing your guy, the Bauer Hour, Ross Bowers. Yeah. Um, they're at Georgia Tech and at Michigan this year. They have just fallen off a cliff, and I don't know the particulars, whether it's just a, an impossible place to win, but it seemed that Rod Carey, especially when he had, I think it was Kevin Kane and his as his defensive coordinator, they fielded and developed uh, some great teams defensively that led the way, and they were winning games 10-9. They were winning games 12-4, probably not 12-4, but um, they were winning low-scoring affairs, but they won games. They appeared in a whatever it was called back then. I think it was the Orange Bowl, uh, not a, uh, a New Year's Six game, but they they lost comfortably to Florida State, but this is a program that's been up, and they just fell off a friggin' cliff. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... It was starting to go a little bit sideways towards the end of the Rod Carey era, but sure. Nonetheless, this it was a bad campaign in the first two years now under Tom Hammock. The Huskies are five and thirteen, which isn't great because it's been a program that's been really good for the last decade. So was it? It was Sutton Smith. I just had to confirm that name yeah. typing it in. Who was amazing? Yeah, yeah. For NIU coming off the edge. Yeah, Vegas has the over under at three and a half. Which feels a little bit like a stretch to me, but we'll see. <laughs> what, what What is their schedule? Where are their winnable games to you? I don't have it. Yeah, I don't have it in front of me. I do have labeled here that they play both Georgia Tech and Michigan, which are yeah. most assuredly going to be two losses. And NIU FBS schedule. I'm going to put you on the spot for detailed schedule analysis here um, for the Huskies. 2021, you mentioned the, the non-conference. They also have Wyoming. The Black Bears of Maine. Hey, I'm wearing a Maine shirt right now. Uh, Eastern Michigan. They're at Toledo, at Central, which is not, you know, Mount Pleasant doesn't seem all that difficult right now. At Kent State, it's going to be tough. At Buffalo should still be tough. And they finish with Western and Ball State sandwiching the Buffalo Bulls there. So that's that's tricky. Yep. All right. Well, I think. So who do you have coming out of the Mac West, by the way? I'm going to go Western Michigan. I think I'm going to go Western as well. Yeah. I'm going to ride the, the hot hand at quarterback. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go Western Michigan. All right. We that does it. Please do feel free to write in solidverbal yes. at gmail.com or I don't know, comment on this wherever you download it, wherever you listen to it and let us know what we got right. Let us know what we got wrong. Mm-hmm. Put in a ton of research on these two sides of the Big Ten and Mac and there is going to be a show that drops on Friday where we go yes. through the other sides. Correct. And the there conference. will be a show or shows in which Ty or I say something like, this outside linebacker is going to be great. And then somebody's going to write it and say, his leg was shattered three <laughs> months ago. And we're like, damn it. It will happen. It will. It'll it will happen. Inevitably happen. Yeah. Especially when we're recording previews here in July. But. Yep. That'll happen. So, yeah. Okay. Aside from that, I love this. I, I cannot wait. I mean, just the the depth that we get to go into in these previews, and I, I rewatch a bunch from last year or for whenever, you know, games were relevant for some of these guys or coaches. It's fun refreshing. It's fun reforming or updating opinions about these yeah. teams and players. I, I, I'm just, I'm into it, baby. Go on out to verballers.com. That is our Patreon. That is how you yes. can help support the show, help Dan and I continue doing what we do here on the podcast. You will also get access to some cool perks. Would also urge you, if you haven't already, to go on out to solidverbal.com. When you're there, you can read some of the new articles that we've been posting. You can also sign up for the newsletter. On Fridays, we'll be sending out 
those articles as well, in addition to much of the content here that we're putting out in audio form throughout the course of the week. So what's going into this week's newsletter? As people this listen to this, hopefully midweek. What do you yeah, have for th- me? This week's newsletter should have a full complement of written content from our friends Travis, Connor, and Bradley, mm-hmm. which will include. We're obviously going to have some links here as we've been going through our previews. We'll link up to, at that point, all four preview episodes that we've done. Um, I believe there are some other fun things that I can't yet talk about that we may be able to include in this week's newsletter wow i don't want to give away the game too much that's my owen wilson wow that's pretty good thank you are you watching loki i haven't watched it yet very good yeah I is it it. good very good i want to i want to incorporate the loki thing into this (sighs) year's college football analysis i think we have to use the sort of I don't know if it's onomatopoeia, but low key as in like low key. Like we have to play with that somehow. I don't know how that that goes, but all right, then I'll try to give Loki a shot. If every, everybody Dude. seems to think Loki and Ted Lasso, or I haven't seen either, and everybody loves both. I just started Ted Lasso last night. I fell asleep, but that's not because it was bad. That's because I'm bad at staying awake. I watched the first episode and I said to myself, "This is pretty good." He you, seems a little cartoonish to you me. Have but to let everybody it hit you. says you have to let it hit you. It'll hit hit you whenever the time is right for you personally as a man. Did you see that our pal John Boyce, who is just an insane person, he tweeted out, should I watch Ted Lasso and turn the replies off (laughs) 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 on the internet about like the internet's most popular show? It's a great show. Big salute. It's a great show. It really is a great show. That's all I have. Cool. Well, thank you so much for bearing with us here. An hour and a half of college football preview content. Don't forget Friday is the Big Ten West and whichever side of the Mac we didn't cover today, Mac East. Mm-hmm. We'll talk more then. In the meantime, for that guy over there, my good friend Dan Rubenstein in Chicagoland, for myself, Ty Hildenbrand over here in Eastern Pennsylvania. We'll talk to you all in a few. In the meantime, stay solid. Peace. Yes, sir.